You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Dan Mychek, I help companies connect with the best tech talent, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by David, Peter and Andrew to discuss how to build a truly agile organisation. Before we delve deeper into the topic, I'll work my way around the room with some introductions. So, David, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Hi, uh, I'm David. So I'm Product Engineering Director here at Verisure, and uh, I'm heading a development team working both with hardware, uh, software and, of course, test release. So it's agile is, of course, a, a topic, of course, that is is, is uh, important for us. So I'm coming from a startup uh, structures. So I've been in imaging startups and also media tech startups in, in the past, but also working with larger corporations like Microsoft and Nokia. So I like a little bit of both. So that's that's my preference and also I, how I believe a true agile team needs to be built. Fantastic. And then Peter, we'll move on to you next. Yeah, I'm Peter and I work as an engineering manager uh, at a company called Avanza. Uh, Avanza is a niche bank, I guess, primarily used for like buying and selling stocks and funds, similar to Robinhood or Free Trade. Uh, but we've been around for a lot longer, so about 20 years, uh, and are exclusive to the Swedish market. Uh, and I've been here for around four years, started in January 2019, uh, and began as an agile coach, but switched roles just before the summer. So now I'm an engineering manager, uh, and I manage two teams which are responsible for our mortgage and uh, savings accounts. Uh, before Avanza, I worked at a few different companies, uh, mostly just Swedish uh, smaller companies ranging from like small startups to scale-ups uh, and also some large enterprise companies uh, and primar- primarily as an agile coach, uh, doing like everything from team level to C-level, I guess, coaching and getting my hands in basically everything from how to build self-organizing teams to how to optimize like your value streams within the company. Fantastic. And then last but not least, Andrew will come to you. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm My current role is a product director in Pandora Jewelry, and I'm working with uh, what's called here enabling platforms. So I'm working with DevOps and integration platforms. So I'm enabling other teams to become more DevOps driven, and I'm eventually more agile in their ways and more independent, you know, more self-sufficient. Um, my my background is very diverse. I started with more jobs in sales and marketing, in sales and marketing, and I even tried uh, implementing agile approach for marketing teams, which failed horribly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I worked a lot in different uh, scale ups, uh, mainly focusing on marketing on marketing technology. Um, yeah, so it's my first true, truly huge enterprise job. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to discussing like Agile with you guys. Oh, I want to hear more about the market failure thing. That sounds, sounds interesting. Ooh, yeah, so mm, we had a new manager who came in and decided that they, we're doing everything wrong and Agile <laughs> will save us. So we had um, uh, a coach, Agile coach, a big Agile coach invited to us uh, who had a um, two-day training session with um, you know about 70 people from the marketing department where we agreed that we will do Kanban. And we will go through steps of to do, in progress, done, um, and then review. So we, after two days, we agreed on a very, you know, <laughs> very basic setup, um, and um, uh, we we restructured the team so that the teams became more self-sufficient. So instead of having, you know, account management team, and uh, you know, acquisition team uh, and analytics team separately, we had self-sufficient teams, which was a really great effort. 
but um, yeah, all that the management saw were boards with stickers and they didn't see benefit in it. So the manager who implemented Agile was fired and the new manager just ordered to throw away the boards, <laughs> even though this team the team structure stuck. And that was like a, a very good, you know, result of, of all that process. Okay, so they kept they kept like the self-organizing team or the more? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, cool. But uh, removed but the, the boards and, you know, the attributes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, that's quite interesting because in a way, Agile, usually when you do an Agile transformation in a team, you focus a lot about the tools and the methods. And I think, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, like we started with Kanban, we had the board, we had these things. For me, Agile is really about the flow and how you drive how you drive agility and kind of have a, have a, an organization that's open for change. And, you know, mm -hmm. oh, that was a great idea. Let me build on it. And, you know, where people pick up. Uh, and, and I think for manager teams, it can also be seen as very fluffy because you lose control, right? Things are happening on a daily basis and changing. And and I was so it's actually a question back to you that do you feel like that was one of the reasons why it failed, or do you think it was the tools itself that was, let's say, the the factor that they didn't like? Mm. I think they expected much more of it. I think they expected much more of the investment, and maybe they expected much more immediate results. Mm. But mm -hmm. uh, the processes in general remained the same and there was still you know a huge wait time between let's say somebody uh, agreeing on a deal and that deal actually happening months later so you know mm -hmm. our kanban board really looked with uh, uh, you know 30 items on hold um, mm -hmm. uh, and just waiting for some things to happen and um, yeah, management also lost some kind of reporting because uh, then the teams needed to do double reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, as a result, they didn't achieve the you know uh, the boost in morale and in sales that they anticipated. Yep. So they ditched the effort, even <laughs> though it had a very good seat in it. Yeah, I'll, I'll guess we'll get back to that question later when we talk about your question about sea level buy-in. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that was uh, one of the best introductions I've had to a podcast. So I think we're in for a good one today. <laughs> Um, but yeah, now that we've established a bit of context to each of you, we'll move on to the topic in focus, which is how to build a truly agile organization, if people hadn't already guessed. Um, so each of you have a question or statement on the topic, and as usual, I'll work my way around the room, asking each of you to pose your question and the reason behind it. So each of you have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So after that, we're going to kick off today's podcast with Peter. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a, it's not really a question per se, I guess. It's more of a statement or maybe a, I want to hear your opinions about it. Uh, so that's kind of, it's a question, I guess, but <laughs> more so. A lot of com like a lot of organizations talk about self-management and empower teams and that that's like the core of agile and you need to have that. Uh, but I also see like that there's a, a big difference when people talk about self-managing and empowered teams like they say that we have it and then when you look at how they're organized or what the teams are actually have the mandate to do they don't really they aren't really empowered in that sense so I'm more curious like what you guys think about or like what your definition is about empowered teams yeah it's interesting I uh, I think it depends on the scale of it but for me uh, the, the agile again the framework and the mindset of agile doesn't necessarily necessarily solve the reporting structure or how you how you get buy-in from senior leadership etc et so at least in my opinion i think that that relates very much with with how you drive requirement structure how do you how do you uh, define what the product owner can can own in each team and and also how do you build structure around cross-team collaboration and prioritization uh, yep. and for, for me, uh, uh, you know, I have good experiences 
and bad experiences. I think the bad experiences comes with when when senior leadership introduced churn in a team, because that's also, of course, going very much against the agile structure. Like the teams needs to own their their priorities. But of course, if we start to fiddle around with it, it you, you suboptimize the system. And then I think the manager starts to feel that, oh, this team doesn't really know what they're doing, you know, what's happening. You know, I know more than this. And so and then you start to kind of disrupt. So I think it's really about making sure that the team has a space to own their area and kind of present it. And there is a natural, uh, you know, selling structure where the team can promote their work. Yep. If that doesn't exist, I have no good experience of of, of this. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think, Andrew? I mean, for me, I've seen that teams actually became empowered and self-managed whenever they, they were they had certain level of independence when they didn't have dependency on other teams to actually, you know, start and perform their work. Obviously, mm -hmm. there is some always left in bigger organizations, but in general, they were independent. And then another thing was ownership of end results. So I had several teams where we tried to implement the same setup, but one that succeeded the most is the team where they saw the actual sales figures of their SaaS tool sold. So they were they really owned the results. They owned they knew like we, how many users do we have? Uh, so developers were thinking, oh, how does how will this actually affect our sales numbers? How this will affect our marketing? Um, how will this affect our revenue? So like we had a team where people said, oh, we're spending too much time on server costs or so much, too much money on server costs. Let's decrease those because it's eating up the you know revenue. So and it was available only through them seeing the actual revenue numbers and then become like having ownership over them because in other teams where they didn't see the end result as clearly, the ownership was not as as prominent there. But I, I actually like the, the point about, you know, the 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 space to self promote and the, the space to to present your results can you elaborate more on that sure uh, how does so, that work yeah and i think this is comes back to how where you are in the transition right for the team so mm -hmm. either you have a team that already know their stuff right in that case it's quite easy to to form a structure where you say okay we do some uh, quarterly review where the team actually show their work. They talk about their plans. They talk mm -hmm. about the why. They talk about the how. And that's quite easy to structure up when you have a team that really feels like this is my this is my area. I know it. I've been working in this for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my code. Uh, but it can also be a, a trap because if you have this kind of I know it I know it all type of team. Uh, it can also open up a little bit the feedback loop where you can drive new ideas from senior leadership because it can also unlock that that perspective but i think it's also more challenging when you have teams that are new to an area where you newly formed teams or merged teams or something that they say now you need to own this thing you, you maybe inherit it or you take it over and then suddenly you should have an executive review the, the next day talking about this area with confidence right <laughs> that's when you need to build a little bit of a of, a, of kind of a, a, stru a structure around that and that's interesting. We actually have that uh, regarding the like having a new team. We have that situation at, at us right now, I think, where we have like a new team forming, uh, and there are a lot of new people in that team. So not a lot of people like who's been working within the organization for a while. Uh, and I think they have that problem. Like, what what are our domain? Like, what do we own? Uh, what are we allowed to do and not? And like other teams, I see trying to maybe fetch some things on them or like throw things at them. Like, yeah, you can take this. You you can do this and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's an as you say, like it's it's easy if you if you've been a while or around for a while in the, within the company and understand like what you are supposed to do, but. Otherwise, it can be really challenging, I think. Um, yeah, but I mean, from my perspective as well, I think 
looking at the the empire team i think you you guys have already talked about it but like the um being able to to i mean maybe move the the how and what i think from like a a top down perspective to bottom up uh, and management maybe talk more about the why perspective i think is probably one of the most important things when when it comes to to empowering the teams um i think like looking at the I, I don't think you can truly have empowered teams without giving them also the responsibility to be able to execute on their like vision and mission because i've been in a lot of company like in the bigger companies uh you you have like this sh- like the small part of the value chain where you have like the teams say that you're working agile and then before and after the teams <laughs> there's like the the <laughs> yeah. Pro- project management office who decides everything and then you have some like marketing de- department who decides everything and then you're like yeah but we're agile in this little <laughs> really small context so i don't think you can be truly agile then without having the, the responsibility from yeah, from the whole perspective yeah do you think then that the whole organization like all of the team departments need to be agile because i don't i can't imagine like finance teams you know ever becoming agile yeah i know I mean, and that's the yeah. that's the big the million dollar question i guess but how do you how do you how do you fix that but i think it's hard like looking at the company where i'm at now we actually managed to to make the switch from so having like the business side and the it side in a sense so now we have we like fuse them into one um so everyone reports to like the same department in a sense uh so we don't have like a a business side that's ordering stuff uh, from IT and similar to that. Uh, and I think if you're that also requires like moving a lot of the mandates from certain people who have a lot of power in the organizations to maybe other people. Uh, and that can become really uncomfortable. Um, but I also think that's important or necessary actually to to be able to to make those switches. But I also think like it's hard, as you're saying, like I don't think like accounting or marketing will probably ever or I'm not going to say ever, but or like legal. Uh, I don't really see that happening in like the the next few years at us. Uh, but I also think that they're the thing we're doing at at our place is at least trying to talk to them in a sense or like invite them to the way we're working and make them to understand like how does the team work and what do we need from the rest of the organization in order to implement our things. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I know, I think I'm, I'm, you, go ahead, David. Yeah, sorry, you go. No, you go. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, sometimes I, I feel like in these discussions, we're living in our own world where we're yeah. like, we in IT saying we're doing our own stuff and yeah. you, the rest of the company, just accept it. <laughs> you know, just live with yeah. it. This is this are our rules of the game. So yeah. Yeah. I don't think we discuss, you know, outside IT agile that often. And is is that how, how agile needs the, the rest of the, the non-IT part of the organization needs to be for IT to be, you know, uh, uh, true and uh, yeah, truly agile. Yeah. I know. Um, what's your take on that? We, we have tried a little bit uh, to to open up the requirements to come from outside of of technology. So we have a technology organization, and it can be uh, so so basically using more of a send desk, Jira service desk flow, so they can request mm-hmm. stuff from us. And then of course the natural pain point will always be like you know can you deliver this by this date you know that's <laughs> yeah. always the communication that we have but then you naturally take it back to the prioritization and say okay here is all the things we have right so can you motivate why this should be more important than all these other things and then honestly it brings back some some kind of understanding also of the situation mm-hmm. in the team so um for me the kind of connecting 
the outside world from the agile is is super important especially if you have outside dependencies that are fast you know where you need fast turnaround so for example working with hardware we had of course the covid times where it was a lot of supply chain issues which kind of great gave us the let's say challenge but also the opportunity to to be more agile with some of these things and i think the request flow for change of supply was one of these areas we tried um, and i think there it was very much about inputs and output making sure that we have a pre prediction and kind of some predictability and then also an input for them without them necessarily have to be working in two ways winds or kanban they just need to put the request here and then we will bring some uh, output at some point but happy happy for other ideas but at least that was something we did and i think it it, it helped it's not perfect but it at least helped mm -hmm. um yeah i i <laughs> What what was the what did you ask again? Sorry, I forgot what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going so deep, but the whole you know outside of IT agile, like how oh, yeah, uh, agile outside of IT <laughs> yeah, organization was, needs yeah, to I be. Was gonna, sorry, yeah, exactly. Sorry, uh, something else. But yeah, I was um, I was thinking about like this. There's this concept called business agility, I guess, uh, which is like a whole whole other area. But like to actually address that kind of thing, like what. And also, I think you talk more about, I'm not really sure that you say agile in that sense. You talk maybe more about the capabilities that you want your organizations to have. So like be able to respond to change fast. That's maybe something that you want your the rest of your organizations to have. You're not necessarily saying, oh, you need to be agile in legal, or you need, but you need to be able to respond to change quickly. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff I think is important. And I think there's there are some, I'm not sure if you have seen um, or know right games. Uh, who done League of Legends is a video game. Uh, they have a lot of good talks about like how they how their organization is set up to be able to actually like do business. How do you say uh, new business opportunities quickly uh, mm -hmm. in order to like and that's also includes like uh, like finance or marketing or legal or stuff like that. Um, so it's I, I think there are companies where where you can actually do it or where they have done it, uh, but I also think it's a really hard. I think the difference there is maybe that they're started from something and build up upon it. But I think a lot of companies who have this set structure in place, it's a, a longer, longer way to go. And once again, I think <laughs> this CMC level management might might need to be included <laughs> yeah. in that as well. Daniel, are you fine with us promoting other podcasts on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. So I'll move on to um, David's question next, please. Yeah, and I think that's kind of related to what we talked about. But I think one, um, in, in my current role, I work with hardware uh, that's also very uh, in the security industry, it's quite regulated. Uh, so of course it comes with uh, strict requirements, a lot of testing and um, quite similar to the mobile industry, of course, in a way uh, that basically the, the hardware is driven out of a lot of requirements that you need to, uh, you know, test and verify very, and it's very costly to do hardware changes because then you also need to do certification of that change and so on. Uh, and um, in software, Agile is, of course, quite natural, both in IT structure, like especially there you have the continuous releasing in the DNA, right? Then if you look on the embedded coding, it's also quite natural nowadays. Um, it's still, you know, not there where the IT structure is, but of course, uh, it, it's, it's kind of quite natural for a software developer to be Agile. Uh, in hardware teams, it's it's less natural because, of course, it also introduced every change introduced quite a lot of cost. Um, and 
here it has it, it it's an interesting one because uh, I've seen uh, a lot of let's say opportunities there that we're working on, but would like to, like to hear your thoughts also if you have seen similar uh, um, areas where where kind of this let's say even in engineering teams it's it's hard to be agile and and your thoughts on that. Do you want to start that? Yeah, or... <laughs> yeah well, I just I'm just thinking like yeah. th- this question for me sounds to like uh, do we have to always be agile, right? <laughs> like uh, when we're talking about hardware where you don't have small iterations where you want to prove the value of things that you're doing like or maybe iterations are much much bigger to, is, is there like is there value in 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 doing agile by the book or maybe it's better to you know do the old school waterfall but is it like rapid prototyping i think in hardware development as well like you do i don't know 10 sets or 15 sets of like low budget kind of prototypes of what you're trying to develop or yeah and i, I think that's a little bit how we currently attack it so rapid prototyping making sure that we do a lot of proof of concepts yeah. uh, another area is also to decouple uh, the waterfall structure that kind of limits the rest of the agile organization. So, for example, making sure that um, you have some test board that you can run software on or kind of unlock development in some ways to make sure that you you don't block the the, the rest of the agile uh, yeah. teams and, and the structure that you have. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's, it's it, it will come more and more. And it's it's an interesting one because as the organization matures in the agile thinking and kind of the expectations also from senior leadership becomes like everything can change, you know, it's mm-hmm. just fix it. <laughs> also, it comes back at, at the big cost with hardware because if hardware change is seen as a software change, uh, it, it comes with a pretty big bill, especially when a product is released to market and in mass production, because then you need to change you know the whole yeah. logistic flow and supply chain flow and but if yeah. I, I mean i feel it feels like like maybe i don't know a lot of company like the smartphone industry for example i think samsung is doing that when they're releasing their phones so like they have the s8 s9 and s10 kind of similar in a way they're yeah. just tweaking small things in every year and then that's kind of long iteration to have like a year year-long iterations but uh it fe- and i guess car companies do that as well or like many companies do that that they release something and then get feedback on it i guess and then but it's something maybe something there that that's missing from the because uh, like in fee- in software development it's really easy to get the the feedback part uh, you can do yeah. like uh, surveys yeah. or you can do a b testing or prototypes or whatever like it takes a few minutes to sketch up or whatever or do wireframes but i guess it's harder in the when you have to actually manufacturing something and i guess you could 3d yeah. print a car i guess mm-hmm. no 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 and usually in in bugs bugs is a good example of that if you have a hardware bug then of course you need to do a workaround in software yeah. and the same you do with features that if you have a changing feature set of course you start with the software part and can you change it yeah. so naturally what you need to do is to make sure that the hardware is as flexible as possible and then you mm-hmm. can control as much as possible with software so at the same time, if you want to have differentiating hardware, usually you need to uh, to, to to make specific stuff there as well, like Apple mm-hmm. does, for example, with, with the CPUs and so on. Yeah. Uh, but it's an interesting one because at the same time, we want to get the whole organization to be agile, meaning also hardware development. So as you, as you said before, that it's about rapid prototyping until you maybe is in a state where this product needs to be fixed. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but it's also a way to attack it. I think about it now, like when you said Apple, I think it's interesting because a lot of the hardware development as well are because looking at at the agile perspective, or like how you build good software, you want to build it kind of in modules or like the object driven kind of thing. Uh, and when it comes to hardware, it feels like they're going more and more towards like a single piece of like when you're doing, a, I don't know, a laptop chassis, you're doing a single piece of aluminum 
mm. that you can't really change in a way. And you, and if you want to change it, you have to change the whole process. You can't just change one little bit of it. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of interesting, like the the dynamics of that. Uh, that when looking at software, you're you're having like you want to do everything in small batches. And the hardware industry is going towards more and more doing like this lockdown, uh, impossible to change kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So there is this quote from Steve Jobs. Uh, so he says that software for him is something you change too rapidly, or you don't exactly know what you want to get to, uh, or you don't have uh, time to get it into hardware. So for, I think that's more of the Apple approach that they start in software uh-huh. and then they move yep. it into hardware. Uh, and that's of course something you can do, uh, and and that's very inspiring way to th- to think about it. Mm. Uh, of course, when you talk, Oops. sorry, we we can hear again. I think. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, got the phone call here. <laughs> ah. it's like the good old days when you pick up the phone and your internet connection died. Yes, it's like that. <laughs> sorry for that, guys. But you can hear me now, or? Yep. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. we cannot see you. No. Okay. Going back. Neither can people listening to this podcast, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. Sorry exactly. for the podcast listening. Now you can get some coffee. <laughs> so you were saying? Uh, I, I don't remember. I think it's uh, it's an interesting one. If you think about, if you have a long-term plan, hardware agility will be exactly as you said. I think that's that's how we can carry it up. That you do the yearly updates and you yep. learn. The feedback loop will be slow, but it's still agile. Yep. And I think that's that. That is a good way to think about hardware. That is like software agility, but you have longer yeah. release cycles. Yeah, yeah so and I guess. The, no, sorry, Andrew. Then on the whole organization level, this means that you just have like different parts of the organization adhere to the same, you know, values, but they just work on different um, iteration cycles, right? And then they try to mm-hmm. to to be in sync somehow. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And it's I also I keep coming back to the car industry because I think like a oh, uh, model cycle in the car industry is like seven years, uh, and then you do a facelift after like half of that time, so you do like three and a half years. So I think that's also a long time to that's a long iteration cycle. I think to get feedback or like that you want to do it right before you release it, but um, still they keep keep doing the wrong thing, I guess. But yeah, it's hard. Well, you can still it's... do like. Yeah, go ahead, David. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I think there are some car manufacturers that go away from this yearly release cycle and yeah. into more model versions. So I, it will probably come more and more that hardware being inspired by software in yeah. how you release stuff. Yeah, sorry. And, uh, no, but I mean, there's also you know methods that allow you like old school methods that allow you to get feedback without actually releasing the product, like focus yeah. groups and yeah, yeah, all of, of those standard things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I heard about this, uh, the guy who, I'm not sure if you heard that story, but the guy who invented Palm Pilot, uh, he he used to carry around a piece of wood, like a plank, uh, and every time where he thought, hmm, this might be a good like opportunity to use like a calculator or like my phone or something, he, just, he, he looked at the plank and he was like, yeah, this is a good, like when he stood in line through the wanted to know how much money he had on his bank account or something. He like took out the plank mm-hmm. and looked at it and thought like, hmm, yeah, this is a use case for this type of product. And he, mm-hmm. he did that for like half a year, like walking around finding. So I think that's a cheap way to <laughs> understand how you can use hardware, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. So we'll move on to our last question of the day. So Andrew, last but not least, we'll come to you. Yeah, I mean, I have a question uh, <laughs> which is 
I don't have an answer for it, and that's that's why I wanted to discuss it with you guys. Is uh, do you need C-level buy-in to to build a truly agile organization? Because I, I've seen different setups. I've I've seen setups where you know, as we discussed in the beginning, management is against the agile setup, and then it doesn't work at all. Here in Pandora, like uh, the the management is very much pro agile and pushing the agile change and agile implementation. So that's and again another clear use case when management is on your side. It's amazing and it helps the agile transformation. But like the in-betweens where I had use cases where, um, you know, the management um, like under, like tries to somewhat understand or like say, okay, we get you, you're doing your own thing, but just like, like do it. And um, maybe the result of it was that eventually they just uh, were asking the uh, time estimates and sprints. They was asking how many sprints it will take to to make it, or how many sprints you will deliver it. But uh, I'm I'm wondering what is your take on it? Of uh, how much like what can the organization be truly agile if the C level man is not really involved, is not interested in in it? Yeah. Um, I would probably say no. <laughs> <laughs> or like for my experience, I would say no. Like if you don't have the buy-in from from upper management, it's really hard to to actually create the change that you want to do at least in the whole organization. I think usually, as you say, maybe you have like IT management usually understands it because it's been around for so long mm -hmm. within IT. So they're usually like, yeah, of course we're going to do agile, uh, and then you create friction between the other C level people. Uh, who don't understand it and why like why can't you tell me uh, a specific deadline because you don't like stuff like that uh, and I also think it's uh, some somewhere I think as I said before like you need to move the if you don't move the like the what uh, the the what and how part down to the teams or down to the middle part of the organization and you keep that within the C-level, uh, I don't think you'll ever because you don't have the engagement then from the people actually doing the work. Uh, and I think you need to have like the, I think one of the key like components within Agile is having the team closest to their domain, also doing like deciding in how they want to work and what they want to do. Uh, and if, I think if you like keep that decision level making on the C level or something, that you, you will never get the true like benefits of uh, of having cross-functional mm. teams. So yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. On the in the tech organization, of course. Uh, there needs to be some buy-in or at least some support because it's like a culture. The teams can create the culture, but it still needs to be sanctioned or kind of uh, seen as something important from, from the senior executives. Otherwise, they cannot help, let's say, when they find issues, for example, between yeah. agile and non-agile non parts of the organization. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think it can work be, without it, but it doesn't really unlock the, that, let's say, the, the, the real beauty of it. But I think the other one is like, What's, what's the what's the value for senior management of having an agile organization if they understand it and if they can work with the structure and with the, with the flow it brings it it kind of of course will bring a lot lot of more value to to them right so mm -hmm. it's very much about how you position it also for senior management and I think that that's a little bit of the agile problem maybe with the word itself that it can be seen as very fluffy and you know there are cases where teams, hide under the agile like hey we cannot plan we are agile right uh, and and that is of course not something that that senior executive teams like to hear uh, so so i think it's very much about the managers or the product owners between to kind of how do you represent your team how do you make sure that the management 
understand this this the value that it brings yeah exactly i think that's a good good point in having them understand and also like the things i said before about capabilities like you, if you say oh we should be agile maybe most managers will say like no we shouldn't do that yada, yada, yada. but if you tell them like yeah do you want software delivered often yes we do like do you want to <laughs> yeah. be able to remove uncertainties early yes we do uh, yeah. And like, do you want mm-hmm. to keep a steady flow of development? Yes, we yeah. do. Like stuff like so. If you if you ask them that, those type of questions, usually you get a bite. No one can like the yeah. stuff in the agile manifesto kind of thing isn't. It's hard to argue against <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think for the stakeholder, I think the, there is some things that agile itself doesn't solve that stakeholder needs. So yeah. for example, yeah, yeah. what is yeah, what yeah. is the plan? You know, yeah. how is the how do we make mm-hmm. sure that the cross team coordination works? How do we drive something from start to finish? Yeah. Uh, you know, in some in some cases, you need some visualization or some representation that that they need, and some proxy functions that maybe talks agile to the teams and, and bring stakeholder value. Let's say in terms of reports and stuff. Yeah. I actually have an example of Peter what you described that uh, like when digital part of the organization becomes uh, agile but the rest doesn't and it creates friction um, in one of my my companies that I worked with there was you know this uh, rift between IT and marketing because IT was working agile and marketing was working waterfall so if for example I know marketing manager wanted something out of IT and didn't get it because priorities and other things are more important he would go to his manager who would go to his manager who would go to let's say product director who would go to head of products who would go to the product team uh, and you know this uh, instead of building horizontal connections they're all going uh, through through the top just because of this culture saying differently yeah and i think like, that's as well like if you don't have the when you when you're also doing that like if you keep going up the chain and some somewhere if you don't have the understanding for agile when you come up the chain uh, there will be no pushback like there will be they will just keep yeah. going they will go up and then will go down again mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's an important part as well. Like if if maybe some part of the organization doesn't understand it, they will keep escalating things to the upper management. Uh, but hopefully if someone in the upper management understands like, yeah, but isn't it better that the team talk directly to each other? Uh, hopefully like it can go back down, I guess. In, in a good way. I have a question for you guys. I mean, if, if I would be a product manager listening to this podcast, uh, I would be like crestfallen right now. What if I want to implement Agile in my organization? Should I go to sea level management and persuade them to do it, you know, organization-wise? How do you think uh, that that change should happen, you know, this path? How can you as a simple product manager drive this change so that yeah. you know, it's adopted company-wise? Yeah, there is no once for all solution. But of course you have hopefully in your organization, agile, let's say heroes. Uh, and usually by, by linking the teams together with some representatives that can provide some value, I think that's key. But but for me, I think it's not, not forget the stakeholder needs because agile is usually not solving those. So if you promote this kind of agile uh, structure, you should probably also think about what, what the executive team really needs from the team and how you, mm-hmm. because of course Agile will solve the development team's problem, right? It will be more s- smooth to work and they can release better and they can work better with other teams. But for the for the executive team, I think they need to, especially if they are new to this, they need to understand that the key f- reason we do this is because the value of the team will get higher, right? Uh, yeah, and, and also, yeah, I was thinking about what you said earlier that the, the things that you talked about in the beginning about the marketing team that they didn't see the um, the benefits of doing it. Uh, I think that's also maybe a part of having the at least C-level understanding that when you do this kind of change, things will get slower 
for a while because yeah. like during change everything takes longer uh, yeah. but the like return of investment is way higher when you actually get it up and running as it's supposed to function uh, but usually that takes some time uh, and I think some people are too impatient I guess with uh, with waiting to see what's what's going to happen. Uh, I think that's important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So the conclusion is become the agile hero and transform oh. the the benefits uh, to of agile to IT into benefits to business and be fair about be honest about uh, the initial steps and yeah so that nobody will expect miracles. Yeah, and I think so. I mean looking at looking at for like I think it's Microsoft who who had the approach where I think it's taken like maybe I'm not sure but I think it's eight or nine years or something where they started with Agile in like one small development team and then it's uh, grow into something larger and larger and larger and larger and then I think it was like maybe two or three years ago I'm I don't I'm, I'm not an expert on timeline but I saw this talk when they talked about it. Uh, where IT actually got like the question from the rest of the organization, like, can you help us with this agile transformation that you guys have done? Because it seems like mm. it's working for you. Uh, and I think that's maybe or like similar to a lot how a lot of companies have done it. Uh, then on the other hand, I guess you have the safe approach, which I don't really like at all. But uh, that's another topic, I guess. Uh, but where you can actually, I mean, that there also you can have like the C level management doesn't really need to understand agile in order for you to implement safe and you can do safe and it maybe it gets a little bit better than it was before um but you probably won't get like the full as you said the full benefits of of doing it the real way so to speak mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's interesting no i think i think i worked in microsoft for four years ago or something so i think there there the issue was uh at that time more about that that kind of how the teams were built like so you had business yep. every team was more of a business unit itself so it it comes back actually to finance again. Like, you know, you need to make sure that you link the teams into product product areas or or kind of where they can be also leveraging more of the benefits across business units and teams. And I think that's where they are probably now, right? Uh, where where you you kind of decouple the the business unit structure from the team structure and from the delivery. And so, and that's of course what safe. Is a little bit trying to do as well at least making sure that there is a planning mechanism so i think safe is probably not the end of the of where we end up being right in, in 20 years but i think we need to make sure that there is some structure around how you handle planning with you know 50 150 teams yep. uh, and make sure that there you know there is some coordination around it and i think safe is trying mm-hmm. to approach that but i think it has of course its drawbacks yeah. yeah yeah i got my answer you can be truly agile within one team without senior buying but if you really want to for it to work smoothly you do need an organizational change and a lot uh, of departments do need to change their structure to accommodate for it i think it depends yeah, yeah i think it, maybe you can get like if you if you would put it on a scale you could be like maybe the organization before is like three out of ten and then by having like some some small agile changes within the teams or in a department or something you get to maybe like a six or seven but if you want like the true 10 out 10 out of 10 you need to <laughs> you need you need to get buy-in from upper management i guess have you ever worked in a company that's 10 out of 10 <laughs> I, I i am doing okay. right now i would say okay <laughs> wow congratulations <laughs> no but i, I mean it's kind of it's kind of nice because we had this conversation because we we grown a lot during the pandemic um and we went from like 350 to maybe 650 employees or something um and one of the questions that came up with like how do you how do you keep the organization like 
yeah, like agile, I guess, in a sense, when you're growing, and how do you stop getting into a like a large enterprise kind of mindset when you're actually growing as a company? And I mean, 650 isn't that big, I know that, but yeah. uh, and so people are afraid of that. Like, how do we keep it small? And it's nice to to hear our CEO um, actually talk about like. Ha- keeping the mandates with, down with the teams and like trying to push them down as much as possible. So like that the upper management just focus on like vision and where we're going and stuff like that. And to to hear our like highest, the people in the organization talk about that is is um, relieving, I would say, from a, from a middle management perspective that you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. like that they're going to come in and change a lot of things and uh, stuff like that. So I, I think that's a uh, because if you ever if you ever worked in like a large enterprise, there's usually a lot of politics and people like want their power and climb on the hierarchy and stuff like that. Uh, but I feel that we don't really have that in our our company right now, at least. Mm, that's nice. But you also I think have usually a... yeah. I've, I've, my best experience agile wise is where it's it's a it's a smaller teams. Uh, but I think there kind of the uh, the challenge has been to make sure that the team understands how expensive their time is, right? So. Yeah. Usually when you get the too efficient agile team, they can do everything. You know, we don't buy this tool, we make it ourselves. Uh, so that's where you have to, to kind of on a whiteboard uh, write the cost of next sprint. So they understand that, you know, this is what it costs and this tool is 99 bucks. So maybe you should just buy that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a positive problem. It's much easier to take it from there. Yeah. Peter, you're working in a digital company doing a digital product, right? Yeah, exactly. Um... I am so it's a it's a lot easier I guess in in that sense that you don't have to worry about the the other parts uh, the physical world yeah exactly I mean we started as a digital bank and we we haven't opened an office yet so uh, yeah we're still still digital in that sense and I guess that's uh, makes it a lot easier as well uh, even though we have our challenges it's it's a lot easier than other companies maybe and especially other banks who started maybe as a traditional bank a hundred years ago with offices and having all the retail parts and business parts and stuff like that so. Fantastic. I think that's a great way to leave it. Um, so this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Andrew, Peter and David for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at daniel.mychek at evolution-nordics.com. And we'll see you next time. Cheers, everyone.